Our gospel lesson comes today from the 28th chapter of Matthew, the final verses of Matthew's gospel. Hear these words. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them, I've received all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth, the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was going to be a freshman in my high school youth group at church, Will called me and told me that he would pick me up. Now, here's what you need to know about Will. Will was a senior calling me a freshman telling me he was going to pick me up, which meant that Will was cool, at least in my eyes, because he was four years older than me. And even when youth group was over that night and we all went to the local college campus to have ice cream, Will brought me with him and he, and he dropped me off at home that night. There were days when, as a freshman in high school, Will would say, hey, do you want to come off campus for lunch with me? And freshmen never got to go off campus for lunch because they didn't have cars or anything like that. But then I would get to go with Will sometime off campus. Will would greet me in the hallway at school, not acting like he didn't know who I was amongst the 2,000 plus other students there. Will invited me in. He made sure that there was a space for me. And he pulled up a chair for me. I wonder, who is your will? Who made space for you? Whether in an environment like that youth group I just described, or made space for you in faith and in your faith journey. Who looked out for you? might be many different people. You might have a few wills that you can name. It might have been a long time ago, or it might be really recently that you can think about who Will was in your life. Here's what I know on this day, is that the reason why anyone is connected with God is because someone took the initiative to connect with them. The reason why anyone is connected with God is because someone took the initiative to connect with that person. This morning, as we think about the Trinity, and I don't want to think really abstractly about the Trinity today, I just want us to think about this, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit means that God is inherently relational. In other words, God has space within God's very self for the other. This is a unique perspective on the Christian understanding of who God is. That the Holy Spirit draws us into relationship with God. The Holy Spirit has the gift, the Holy Spirit has the attribute of what I would call wooing. 
Whenever you feel called or nudged or overcome, those are all ways that the Holy Spirit is wooing you in to relationship with God's very self. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist movement in the 1700s in England. And, and John Wesley was an Anglican priest kid, okay? He knew all the right scriptural answers. He was trained at their schools. He went to Oxford to study religion. He was ordained a priest at a young age. And in the 1700s in Anglicanism, he would have learned the three sources of truth that existed within his Anglican tradition. The first of those was scripture. And simply, simply John Wesley learned and was taught that scripture contains all that is necessary for salvation. We still believe that in our articles of faith as United Methodists today. But within that tradition, they also understood the second source of truth to be what they called tradition. And that is this. Scripture is sometimes difficult to interpret. Sometimes we don't know exactly what it means for this space and time, so they used the tradition of the church, how the church had interpreted it through the years. One of my professors in college used to say this regarding the church tradition. He said, if you think you have a new way of interpreting scripture that no one's ever done before, it's probably wrong. That was his, because <laughs> he said, listen, people have been studying, looking at this for 2,000 plus years, and so you should probably look and see what people have learned through the years. So Wesley would have learned about scripture, tradition, and then reason. Reason simply meaning this, God gave you a brain, so you should use it when it comes to thinking about faith. And those things were in a good balance together. And John Wesley knew these things, he knew these sources, but Wesley was really really distraught in his life, in his 20s and into his early 30s, that he had not had an experience of God that led him to an assurance of salvation. In fact, he took a trip over here to America and to Georgia. He failed miserably on that trip. Um, he he wasn't sure about his faith at all. He got really scared on the ship, and you may have heard some of these stories, but there was, there was a big storm on the ship, and, and, and Wesley is freaking out on the ship, thinks he's going to die. They're caught in the midst of just awful waves and, 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 and torrential rains, and this Moravian group is singing hymns and praying as if nothing is going on, and he said, I want an assurance of faith like these Moravians, and so when he came back to England, he he looked up some Moravians. He started learning from them and some of their practices. And then it was on one night in 1738 on Aldersgate Street. And you've heard of Methodist churches named Aldersgate. And John Wesley described his experience of his heart being strangely warmed. Now this happened, here's what was happening. Someone was reading from Martin Luther's commentary about the book of Romans, because that's apparently what you did in 1738 for fun on a Friday night or something. And so, so Wesley's out there, they're reading from the commentary, and Wesley said, I felt finally I did trust Christ and Christ alone for my salvation, and he got that assurance that he was seeking. And so from this moment on, what Wesley described throughout his life was a fourth source of truth and that was this, experience, an experience of God. So he said, it can't just be scripture, tradition, and reason, because that was experiencing for him a, a dead religion. But he said, no, there needs to be some form of legitimate, real experience of God. Now, we can talk about how 
we experience God and how we can experience God. We can also talk about people we have seen and traditions we've seen that like to manipulate emotions for a spiritual experience. And we can talk about anything other as an aside. But they are just that, asides. Because part of the purpose of worship, part of gathering here, is to remind you how big God is and to allow you to revel in it. And in that space and in that pondering, you might have the opportunity to experience God. This is the power of Pentecost, both 2,000 years ago, like we celebrated last week, and today, still, the Holy Spirit will go among us. The Holy Spirit will move. We just have to be open to that experience of God. The Spirit, you see, draws us into a relationship with God and opens us up to experiencing God. But in this text today, Jesus gives the disciples a commission. He gives them a charge. And this commission answers a vital question for us. How are people in a position to be drawn into that relationship with God? How are people in a position to be drawn into relationship with God? Here's what's happening in Matthew's gospel. Jesus is meeting the disciples on this mountain where he told them to. Now they expected to meet the resurrected Jesus, but in Matthew's gospel, this is the first time they are seeing Jesus resurrected. So they're both, ex they've expected it, but they're shocked at the same time. And it's the first time after his resurrection and Jesus tells them that now after the resurrection, he says, all power and all authority has been given to me. And then he commissions them. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Who is this commission for? I mean, first, it was to those disciples, right? They're the 11 who are gathered there with Jesus. They're supposed to go and tell the others, thus founding what we will know later as the church. These disciples have had a direct experience with Jesus in his ministry in those three years on earth. And now they have experienced and witnessed the risen Jesus. But this is how Matthew's gospel ends. These are literally the last words of it. And I think Matthew wants us to see ourselves on this mountain with the disciples. And if that's the case, if we are on the mountain with the disciples, encountering Jesus resurrected before us, then this commission is for everyone, everyone who follows Jesus. For the mission of Jesus is much bigger than the disciples could understand before Jesus raised from the dead. Remember when Jesus in his ministry would say, now I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And Jesus did his ministry in a very small geographical area. He was in Galilee and he was in Jerusalem. And now, now he instructs his disciples that they are to go to all nations. It seems like before his resurrection, Jesus and the disciples had limited power and authority, or at least a scope of it. And now, he says, all power and authority has been given to me with a field of operation for all nations, everywhere and in every place. Now, this is really wonderful news 
First, because the only way that any of us is sitting here today in this country on this day, followers of Jesus, is because these, these people took the message to take it to all nations pretty seriously, right? And so the fact that the gospel spread and that we learned more about Jesus was good news. It welcomed us in. It's also good news because God is still inviting people into relationship with God's very self. Jesus promises the disciples at the end that they will be empowered by his very presence, that he'll be with us every day. So we can understand that the original disciples are not the only audience for the Great Commission. In fact, I am sure that in this very sanctuary and in this church, there's been countless sermons on this passage from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So then we often talk about, well, it's the church's job to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. And that is correct. I mean, it is the church's job. That kind of helps us define the various things that we do together to make disciples, to call people into saving faith with Jesus and to learn more about him, to baptize, to participate in the life of the church through sacraments, to be initiated into relationship with God, right? And to teach, to teach about who Jesus is and to embody that with our lives. That's very good. But what have we done with this when we say it's just the church's job? Well, in our culture, we have made a professional religious class to disciple, baptize, and to teach. So we've turned this commission that was intended for all disciples into not all our jobs anymore, but to really my job. And if the commission of Jesus is for all disciples, no one can be a passenger on this ship. Everyone is a crew member. The old spiritual asks, and this formed my thoughts this week, who will be a witness for my Lord? I sang this song in choir, so it resonates with me and has been all week. The disciples were summoned in this passage. They saw the risen Jesus, and they are to tell others and form a community that follows him. We too have seen and are seeing the risen Jesus. The Holy Spirit meets us, woos us, draws us into relationship with God, and we are commissioned to be witnesses of God's saving activity in our lives, to witness our experience of God. As a church, one of our measures of being a disciple is this. The disciple is invitational. And the question that we can ask along with being invitational is this. Who am I connecting with God's family. Who am I connecting with God's family? The implication of this is that disciples of Jesus invite others along with them. Friends, this movement of God through Jesus has always been evangelism based. The intention from the beginning was not that the church would grow through just people having more babies all of the time. The intention is that God is drawing the world into relationship with God's very self and even uses us to be a part of that. So it is not the professional Christian's job to tell your friend or neighbor about Jesus. It's not my job. My job is to empower you to do just that. My job is to empower you, to remind you that even when it feels hard, that the Christian life involves making disciples. Friends, the reason why it's not my job to tell your friend about Jesus is because I don't know your friend. 
you have the credibility. I'm not talking about a pressure-filled situation where you sit nervously waiting to fire off a really hard question, asking your friend directly if they know where they go when they're going to die. I'm not talking about that kind of mess. I'm not talking about a rote conversation filled with memorized possibilities about the different options it could go as if you're doing calculus when you talk to them about Jesus. No, we are simply called to share our experience about Jesus with others and invite them into a life of following him. The promise of God is this, you will be empowered to do it. And when Jesus said he would be with us, he meant that he would give the gift of his spirit with us. Early in his ministry, Jesus told the disciples, he said, you're going to be persecuted for faith in me. And the disciples are probably wondering, what in the heck are you talking about? Like, we just heard you talk about blessed are the peacemakers. What, are you, what do you mean, Jesus? And this is what Jesus promised to them. It's in Matthew 10. He says, whenever they hand you over to be persecuted... Don't worry about how to speak or what you will say, because what you can say will be given to you at that moment. You aren't doing the talking, but the spirit of my father is doing the talking through you. Listen, you aren't doing the talking, but the spirit of my father is doing the talking through you. That is empowerment. The Trinity is present when we open our mouths to talk about Jesus. And the only way, friends, that this happens is when we are open to the Holy Spirit's movement in our lives. When we experience God ourselves, then we become open to having others experience God's presence through us. Who are you will for? Who are you being led to call and to pick up? Who might be isolated in your life? Who are you in the action of pulling up a chair for? Of inviting them into God's family? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that today that you are in the, in the work of empowering us. And God, it's not that you don't want us to experience you. It's that oftentimes we're blinded to experiencing you. We're not open to that still small voice. We're moving too quickly or we have too much noise around. But God, I ask that you would lay on our hearts, that you would lay on our hearts the opportunity to be open to experiencing you and then to sharing that with others. Not in a confrontational way, but in an invitational way. Not in a way whose end goal is to make sure that we have more and more numbers at a church institution. But God, in a way that seeks to draw people into relationship with you. Because we think that it matters. Because we think that it saves. And because we know the hope that we find and have in the name and in the person of Jesus. So God, I pray that as we recognize this commission today and hear it, that you would once again empower us, challenge us by your spirit, and continue to draw us in to relationship with you. Amen.